The second reading today is from Philippians, uh, starting chapter 1, verse 1, going through to verses 11, and that can be found on page 1080 of the Church Bibles. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. I pray, Father, that uh, you'll speak to us by your spirit this afternoon. So that as we've just heard, our love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that we can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Jesus. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus. And we pray this for your glory and praise alone. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Blin and I, the three girls, and our dog Nutmeg jumped in a 12 year old Hodder Odyssey and we headed north up to the sunny coast back to see uh, some friends, relax, refresh. It wasn't that re- relaxing in the car, to be honest, about halfway up. I think it was the 37 degree day that kind of air conditioning snuffed out. The dog's panting increased immensely, and so was mine. At one stage, one of the girls was actually, like, sucking on the the air vent. Um, And, you know, you get out of the car at the service station expecting it to be cooler, and it was actually cooler outside at 37 than it was inside. Um, And the poor dog, yeah, it it was suffering. Anyway, it was on that trip we went past one of those northern towns. I think it was called Kalongaluk or something like that. You know, those towns with all those really cool names. And in one of those towns is this really great old wooden church. Um, And Blynn and I drive past it every time we think we should stop there. And the next line is telling. Because we don't actually say we should stop there and go to church because it's no longer a church. It looks like a church. It's actually a cafe. And every time we go past, it's either closed or not open. We think, yeah, we should stop at that cafe. It really looks good. 
But the bottom line is you've probably driven past those churches as well, haven't you? Those church buildings at least that actually are no longer churches, they're something else. Buildings, cafes, great restaurants, once full of life in the gospel, no longer full of life in the gospel, no longer full of partners in Christ, but full of people enjoying themselves over God's creation, food, whatever else. And you, don't you wonder sometimes what happened? Where, where's all the life in Christ gone? I mean, maybe the church gathered, as in God's people have moved down the road somewhere, who knows? But, but what is it to continue to have vital, vibrant church life, like we have here at Church by the Bridge? What, it is, what is it to really be the church? And I think this is a great time of the year as we really kick off the year with our first series. I know it's February, a month's gone, but I guess maybe to regroup. Think about what is it to be the church? What is it to be a Christian? And quite clearly from what Paul said here in just these first few verses of Philippians, it is to be a partner in Christ. To be the church, to be a Christian, is to be a partner in Christ. And that's, a, that's the key for ongoing, vital, vibrant church life and Christian lives together. So that's what we want to think about this afternoon. If you haven't picked up one of these study booklets, please grab one. You might even want to grab it now. You could jot down some notes if you thought there were some things that might have been worthwhile taking down and look it up later. It's a great tool to go through Philippians as we jump into hive groups together. Plenty of good questions to help you think and reflect on the passage. So Philippians, we just heard a little bit about the story from Acts. It's a letter written by Paul to Christians in a Roman colony called Philippi. And it would seem that Paul writes this letter as he sits in jail in chains, probably in Rome. Paul had started the church in about 51, 52 AD, and now he writes to them about 10 years later. He had a visitor from the church, Epaphroditus, come and tell him about the church. So Paul is writing in response to what he's told. Although Paul is in prison, the letter is saturated. And this is remarkable, isn't it? He's in prison and the letter that he writes to these Christians is saturated in joy because Paul is full of joy. And we're going to discover why this afternoon in these first verses. So as we launch into this series, where are you up to? Are you someone who's a Christian who at the moment is full of joy in knowing Christ because you're in Christ? Or are you here this afternoon thinking, yeah, I once was one of those Christians who used to be full of joy, but not so much at the moment. I'd love it back. Or you're here who's someone who who doesn't even know what it is to know Christ, to know Jesus and what he's done. Whatever you're, wherever you're up to, this is a letter for you and God wants to speak to you. Plain and simple, you are here because God wants to speak to you, to you to know Christ and grow in him, to know the joy it is to know him. If you wanted a summary verse 
of the series from Philippians. You've got it in the banners, but it's 127. Just one thing, Paul says, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And this afternoon, we're going to think about that in terms of a life that's worthy is a life that understands that you're a partner in Christ if you actually are indeed in Christ. So let's jump into these verses, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, under the first heading of, We Are Partners in Christ. Verse 1. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseas and deacons. Paul defines himself and Timothy in terms of their relationship to Christ, they're slaves of Christ, but he's writing to the Christians here at Philippi and he understands them in terms of and defines them actually because he wants them to see themselves this way and have their identity informed by this in terms of their relationship with Jesus as well. So you notice it's pretty clear to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Obviously, saints aren't some person who's done some sort of special miraculous thing as defined by other churches. Now, Paul says saints are people who are believers in Christ Jesus. And so that's who these Christians are. They are in Christ. This is their identity. No doubt there's all sorts of people in the church, young and old, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile. Paul sees them as God sees them in Christ. You get more of a definition of, I guess, if you like, of what this is in chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. Chapters 3, 8 to 9, where Paul says, More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What is it to be in Christ? Well, it is to consider knowing Jesus better than anything else, the most valuable thing of all. And he goes on to say why. Because of him... I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. What is it to be in Christ? It is to know Christ It is to be right with God and have a right standing with him. That's what you could say is the definition of righteousness. Not because of what we've done, particularly obeying God's law, but because of what Christ has done for us, that we simply put our faith in. That's what it is to be in Christ. But clearly, as we'll see in the letter, there are threats when you, when you actually believe in Christ and you become in him, you're bound to him, you belong to him, God is your father, eternally, all of a sudden threats come your way. So chapter 3, verse 2, it says, watch out 
for dogs, watch out for evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, I'm not sure about you, but that's all pretty graphic, vivid language, isn't it? But Paul's talking about these people who are enemies. All of a sudden, you're enemies because you're in Christ. Under threat from people who say Jesus is not enough, you must do something as well to have a right standing with God. The group here that he's warning them against was saying they had to be circumcised. Paul says, watch out for people who want to add to the gospel. So know this, if you have faith in Jesus, all of a sudden your life will be under threat from people who want to take you away from Jesus. Verses 17 to 19, I won't read them now. It says they're also under threat from another group of people who are probably Christians, but actually they're not living as Christians. They're living for the here and now instead of heaven. So there's not only threats from outside, believe it or not, there's threats from inside all of a sudden in terms of inside the church. People who are also claiming to be in Christ can be a threat as well if they're living inconsistently with that. So we're in danger when we're in Christ, but it's also a great thing, obviously, that we are in Christ. Paul's writing the letter to affirm this great example of what it means to be Christians, but also concern for them because of the threats that are coming their way. He wants to encourage them and warn them because it's so easy to be taken away, to be distracted, to lose our focus. Maybe that's what happens to those empty church buildings Maybe the people got distracted, lost their focus, got dragged away. Let me tell you about the parable of, not one of Jesus' parables, the parable of uh, a dangerous sea coast where lots of ships were wrecked, people's lives were lost. There was a village nearby that used to send volunteers down to help rescue the people and sometimes those volunteers would lose their lives. Over time, the people in the village started to think, let's get our act together and get a bit organised, form a team so we could rescue even better than we are. They used to drag their boats down, so uh, over time they, they would practise their, their uh, rescues and get better at rescue. Over time they thought, let's build a boat shed so we don't have to drag the boats down from the village to the shore but keep them there. Over time they thought, hang on a sec, Let's wait in the boat shed. Over time, they thought, hang on, when we bring the people in and rescue them, they're sitting there vulnerable to all the things, weather and so forth. Let's build a shelter. Over time, they thought, actually, it'd be good to have some food for these people. Let's add a kitchen to that shelter. As they spent time waiting in the boat shed for the rescues, they were getting a bit bored, so they thought... Let's add a gaming room or a game room to that shelter as well. Over time, they thought, hang on a sec, rescuing needs particular skills and expertise. Let's actually employ a professional lifesaver so they can do the rescuing. 
Over time, they thought, hang on a sec, we're having so much time. Let's get rid of that life-saving side of our club and just enjoy all that we've built. Of course, a group protested against that. How can you do that? That's the primary reason we exist. How can you throw out the primary reason we exist? So they went down the shoreline a bit and they created their own group. They started practising the rescues so they could rescue more people efficiently. They thought they got so big, uh, sorry, good, so good at it, they challenged the old group to competitions of rescuing. Over time, they thought, let's build a boat shed so we don't have to drag the boats down. Over time, they thought, let's build a shelter. Let's add a kitchen. Let's build a game room. And we all know what happens next. So, so easy to lose the focus of what you're primarily on about when you come together with a group of people. And so it's a good point in the time of year in to ask, what is it that makes us who we are as a church? What gives Church by the Bridge its identity? An identity distinct from any other group or any other club, whether that be the RSL, the Surf Life Saving Club. How is this group of friends you spend time with distinctly different to any other friends you spend time with? Is it just because we're in the habit of coming at this time of the day to do a certain bunch of things together, sing and so forth? Well, it's not, is it? It's primarily because we are in Christ, is if you, if you put your faith in him. So I have to ask, are you in Christ? Because you can't be a partner in Christ if you're not in him. Have you put your faith in what he's done for you so that you can have a right standing with God, the Father? So that you now experience all the benefits and blessings of being found in him. Not the least of which is being forgiven. If you're not in him, turn to him today. Put your faith in him now. It will cost you. It will require sacrifice. There will be threats to you and that faith, but it will be worth everything to put your faith in Jesus. If you are in Christ, are you committed to living, living your life as a partner of Christ, giving all you are and all you have to living for him and making him known. Was the, would the first month of 2017 indicate that that's true of you? And we'll have a look at what that means in a moment. That you're committed to the cause of Christ. Self-sacrificial commitment to the venture of making Jesus known and living for him. Let's see ourselves as God sees us in Christ. Saints in Christ Jesus, which means we're partners. So let's briefly think about what it is to be a partner in Christ as we get a picture of what it looks like uh, from Paul. Verses 2 and 3 really sum it up. I give thanks to my God 
for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you're all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and establishment of the gospel. Partnership. It's actually the word translated in other translations as fellowship, which has become a little bit of a kind of warm, fuzzy word, isn't it? We have fellowship together. We're going to have a fellowship dinner, we used to say when I was growing up in church. We just meant we all brought a bunch of food from, from home and, okay, we had fellowship. Kind of a warm and fuzzy word that means nothing. But actually, partnership captures it so much better because partnership is, is active engagement, isn't it? An investment into something, a cause or a venture. And so we get a picture of what that is. Firstly, it's prayerful. Paul's giving us a picture of it. What does, what does he do? He prays. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you. Partnership is expressed in prayer, just the way the word prayer is repeated so many times. Of course, that's what it is to be a partner, to be praying for each other, for those who don't yet know Jesus. As many of you know, I've been given the privilege and responsibility of being the pastor of 330 Church this year. And for the first little while, Dan and I be co-pastoring. It'll take, you know, anyway, that'll be fun together. But as I was thinking about, okay, over the last couple of months, months, what does it mean to be a pastor of a congregation? You might think, hang on, why have we employed this guy? Doesn't he know this? I've had a year off the saddle, so to speak, and I was you know, consciously thinking about what it actually means to be a pastor of a group of people. And the first thing it means is to pray, to pray for the people. So about four weeks ago, I spent about half a day getting a clear list of who are the people of 3.30. I was like a dog with a bone. I just wouldn't let off until I got that list because I want to be clear about who I'm meant to be pastoring and the first thing I wanted to do because I think it's the first thing I should do, is to pray. So I got the list, old school list, printed it out. So it was actually one of those hard copies, remember those, there's ink and stuff. And I put it in my prayer journal book. So every day to express my partnership and my pastoring of you as God's church, who I'm meant to be leading, I pray for you. Will you pray for each other? Will you pray for me? Because that's what it is to be a partner in Christ, firstly. And you can see the content of Paul's prayer as you go through the rest of those verses. So, firstly, a partner in Christ. A picture is, firstly, to be prayerful. Secondly, thankful. I give thanks to my God. What does Paul pray? What's the content of his prayer? He's thankful. So, as I started praying for you, I started praying... Thank you, God. And I would name every one of you as a gift to this congregation. Firstly, thank you that you're in Christ Jesus. To be a partner in Christ is to pray pray thankfully. Thirdly, to be joyful. 
You see it in these verses, but throughout the whole letter, as I said, it's saturated in joy, in prayer, in suffering, in Christ being preached, whatever motive, in everything, Paul has joy. Now, that's always challenging, isn't it? Joy in every moment. Think of your week. Is that you? No, it's not me either. We need to be praying for each other in that as well. Fourthly, a picture of partnership is one of loving relationships. It's clear, 7 and 8, verses 7 and 8. The language Paul uses is language he used through most of his letters, particularly the word affection, which is the words for bowels, actually. So deep down in his guts, sorry I'm being very Aussie, he has this feeling for other people, which is expressed in love. He has affection for them and he has no problem expressing it. No problem expressing it. He, he says, I long for you. I miss you. I just can't wait to see you. The guy's pouring his heart out because he loves these people. The word think is actually translated in other translations as the word feel. Because it's not just some kind of clinical, sanitised, yeah, I'm thinking of you. No, it's, think, it's kind of like thinking towards them in great care and concern. He's inclined towards them in that way. Loving relationships. And of course, Paul, the content of his prayer is that their love would abound in knowledge and discernment. To be a partner is to have loving relationships. One of the things I've been praying alongside giving thanks, I've actually been praying, as I've been praying for you, that God would give me a love for you. Now, don't take that the wrong way. as Somehow I've worked out you're unloving or you're hard to love. Some people have said that to me. No, it's just because I know that to be a pastor, to be a partner in Christ, we're meant to have loving relationships. And the only place that love comes from is from God. So I'm praying God would give me a love for every single one of you. And that would be expressed as you express that for each other. You can't go far with Paul. You think about his life and he models what it is to be a Christian to bump into suffering. At the heart of what it is to be a Christian, according to Paul, because it's according to Jesus, is to suffer. So that's the fifth thing. Verse 7. The Philippians shared in the same grace of Paul... But there's two parts to that grace. Of course, there's the grace of the gospel. But it's also the gift of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And you can see that later on in verses 29 to 30. To be a partner in Christ is to know what it is to suffer as Christ suffered. Sixthly, proclamation. We don't get it in 1 to 11, but in verses 15 to 18, at the heart of who Paul is, is someone who proclaims the gospel. Paul was focused on the gospel being preached, so he calls the Philippians, and so you and I, to hold out the word of life in 2.16. To be a partner is to hold out the word of life to others. The message doesn't stop with you. Who can ever keep good news in? Let's not keep this good news in. Lastly, partnering Christ means to be financially investing. Verse 5, 
Because in essence, the partnership word is more of got a, more of a commercial sense to it than anything else. And these Christians had financially invested in Paul. They'd given a gift to him of finance so he could keep going. That's what it is to be a partner in Christ. All of who you are and all of what you have, you share. We'll see that later on in Philippians. It's fascinating, isn't it? Paul's in prison. I don't know about if you've ever had friends in prison, but I had a mate from my old church who ended up in jail for I won't go into. But it was very easy to forget him. Very easy. We weren't in close proximity in any context. Well, kind of thankfully. But it was very hard to keep up expressing my partnership in Christ with him. Let alone share with him. Let alone clearly have the relationship that Paul has with these Philippians and vice versa. Easy to stop associating with people. Let relationships wane. That's what happens in relationships. It takes work and effort. The reality of being a you know, preacher in a settled congregation is that you, you guys, sorry, are subject to the kind of habits as illustrative material that I have. So one of the habits I have is cycling. So you're going to be subject to lots of... And the bad thing about cycling is a great analogy for the Christian life, isn't it? No one agrees with that. Don't say yes, otherwise you're going to get more illustrations. But, but I've got to say, the, the, I formed a group of cycling mates. Yeah, we are mammals. Let's, let's call it what it is. Um, middle-aged men in Lycra or something. That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, I have to say, we are partners in cycling. It is a, it's amazing the relationships I have with these blokes. We've got nothing in common at so many levels except for the fact that we get on tight clothes and get on a bike. But it goes so much beyond that as well. I've been really just so encouraged that text messages when I'm not there, questions about how my, my life's going, my family's going, invitations to holiday with them. It's sort of like a picture of what it is to be in close, well, partnership in something. And, you know, when you talk, everything seems to come back to cycling because that's at the heart of our relationship. How much more so should it be for us as Christians in Christ where we have these loving relationships and we're always on our mind? If we come onto each other's minds, we tell the other person, you're on my mind, how are you going? Where every conversation always seems come to come back to Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, we can't help but share, this is what I'm learning, what God's teaching me about Jesus afresh today. Where God's word's so alive, I can't help but share it with others. Where I'm so concerned, feeling affection towards others that I can't help but share, I love you in Christ. I can't help but be praying when you share something about what's going on in your life, a moment of disobedience, a moment or, or ongoing struggle. I, I instantly turn to prayer for you because I'm a partner in Christ with you. That's what it is to have a life of prayer, of joyfulness, of thankfulness, of affection and love, suffering, proclamation and financial investment. 
But lastly and very briefly, we get a prayer from Paul, a prayer for partners in Christ. So you're thinking, maybe that's all a picture of you and you're so joyful and all those things capture who you are. That would be fantastic and that's an answer to God's prayer, isn't it? But Paul says, look, this is what you are to pray if you want to head towards that or grow in that. Verses 9 to 11. This could be our prayer for Philippians for each other. I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. So you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ Jesus. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's a prayer for us as partners in Christ. That our love would abound in knowledge, discernment. Who, I mean, who, who wants a clear goal in life? What do you want your life? You want your life to be about something, don't you? A, a, a way to def- work out what you want your life to be about is to kind of rehearse what you'd like people to say at your funeral. Then you'll work out how you define success. Why don't you picture saying, someone saying these things about you at your funeral? They were someone who was a partner in Christ, whose love was always abounding, always growing in the knowledge and discernment of Christ, growing in what it meant to be pure and blameless and in the fruit of righteousness as well there's something to aspire to as you wake up starting another week tomorrow monday morning wake up if god's giving you the gift of life again there's something to put your feet on the floor for and start another day afresh wherever you find yourself working starting mothering whatever, to live a life as a partner in Christ and for God's glory and for his praise alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are partners in Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for many of us you've implanted faith in our hearts that we know what it is to be, have a right standing with you. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. We pray that our love will abound more and more for each other. That we have lives marked by prayerfulness, thankfulness, joy, love, suffering, proclamation and financial investment. And we ask this, Father, as it says here, that you, who started a good work in us, will carry it on to completion until the day of your son's return. Amen.